0: This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. And welcome back to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. My name is Hank. I am your uh, host for today. I'm alone. Um, Kyle's not with me um not by choice or anything like that but um we were unable to connect in our last episode if you want to hear more about that check out the flash or a good person podcast where i get into those details um today uh, i wanted to and this is uh, in the way that i'm recording it i recorded flash and spider-verse then a good person and now uh this guardians podcast uh right back to back to back this is the third one Um, I wanted to offer a brief reflection on Guardians 3 as it relates to the other Guardians films, including the Christmas special, because why not? Um, Not because I think that it's, like, contemporarily relevant. I definitely missed my window there. I went to go see it a long time ago, and I'm sure that many of you who would listen to this podcast have already seen it as well. And so, normally I try and give some type of spoiler-free review um and then followed by a spoiler review that engages it but i i missed my window there so i'm just going to uh i'm just going to offer this review and connect it to the others and talk about why i love guardians 3 the most um out of this uh trilogy now to be clear um this guardians 3 volume 3 um did not uh come without some controversy if you remember um at one point james gunn was removed from the project and uh, was basically um, told he could write it but not direct it due to some tweets that were found um, from old days, uh, like a long time ago, that he had said some insensitive stuff. And ultimately, just due to like backlash and outrage and even like a, like an eventual boycott by the current actors, Disney decided to bring James Gunn back into the film and let him finish. Um, and obviously, during the period when he was not associated with the project, he did a film for DC called the suicide squad um which was an attempt to erase the suicide squad that was done with Will Smith uh years and years and years ago uh, with David Ayer um but uh you know he he was brought back and now he's been named the head of uh DC um and that happened kind of in the midst of this too and so James Gunn is a is a big deal right now in Hollywood and so um I think that uh, we've got a lot of really cool things coming um, I know Lisa which is the superman um reboot that should be coming rather soon um so this film had some controversy even some controversy around chris pratt um whom people wanted to see him get replaced with um uh somebody else um due to some uh the fact that he attends a a non-affirming church things like that Uh, and maybe some things he said uh as we know as if you know chris pratt is a somebody who is a little bit more outspoken about his faith um, online and everything like that. Um, so it's very interesting to uh, see kind of how this all kind of came to be. Like, it shouldn't have happened, yet it did. Um, I as I've, I think I've gestured to this before in previous podcasts. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, just like a bit of personal history. The first Guardians movie came out um, in 2014. Uh, I was in the middle of a PhD at that point in time, um, and I had kind of taken some time away from living in uh, Evanston, to, uh, which is where I got my PhD due to some uh, personal stuff that was going on during that time that I won't get into here. Um, and that movie came out just before I went back to live in Evanston. Um, and I was I was really nervous about it, but it was this kind of this film that was, uh, and for me, as I've said on the podcast, I'm sure numerous times, film has have been a way for me to kind of process my feelings and a and emotions and things like that. And um, this film really helped me kind of um, get set myself towards not only completing the task of the PhD, but also just living in Evanston again. Um, and it was a very good movie. I mean, it was. It was one of those that happened after the um, first Avengers movie where a lot of humor was allowed to be introduced into these films. If you watch the first uh, four Marvel movies, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, um, the uh, Captain America, and Thor, uh, we'll leave the Incredible Hulk out of this for a minute just because that wasn't really a part of the Disney-Marvel formula. Um, uh, Iron Man 1 was very much like the thing that allowed Disney to see the value in this and to buy the MCU. Um, And there were some jokes and stuff in Captain America and Thor and things like that, but not a ton. The Avengers was the first one that had like a lot of laughs to it and with the serious action and things like that. um, The Guardians took it to a whole other level where it was very funny. The main character was Chris Pratt, who became famous through his character on Parks and Rec. And, uh, which was, again, a really great, um, an interesting choice because he did not look like a leading guy, but he got into specific shape for this. Um, and he was cast in that role. I mean, you got Zoe Saldana, who, um, has done a lot of leading stuff since then, but they, you know, they gave her this kind of green, like, costume and things like that. Um, and then, you know, Bradley Cooper, who's this hunk, and then he's this, like, three foot raccoon that he does voiceovers for, Vin Diesel, who's huge in the Fast and the Furious franchise, and they got him in, they're on stilts, and he says the same three words over and over again, and so, like, you never see him on screen, and then Drax, who's played by Dave Batista, whom is a, was a professional wrestler for most of his career, and really breaking into acting in Hollywood, and he's done a lot of films now, he's done James Bond, he's done um the blade runner series he's done marvel stuff i mean he's even done knock of the cabin which is the uh uh, most recent m night Shyamalan film and so he's he's getting around there i i really like dave batista i will go see anything with dave batista and stuber saw that it's great loved it it's funny um and i saw a lot of other things too i I think dave batista is really cool um it shouldn't have worked but it did it was funny it was endearing um it's this story of this ragtag group of like soloists who find each other and become a family um with again this is very weird ensemble that they chose to put together but it worked um and it was just it was very powerful and it helped me um a lot i think with the second one when it came along we were uh you know we still had not had the guardians um have to interact with the rest of the mcu they were very distinct they were the ones kind of space group that was far away uh didn't really um uh, interact with like the avengers and things like that um however uh once we got to infinity war that's when thor kind of run a- ran across them and then in endgame um in- between infinity war and endgame you actually had the death of Gamora, which i think really threw a wrench. In what james gunn was wanting to do i mean when you share characters in a broader universe you kind of have this problem because other people write stories for your character that you hadn't planned and so when gamora dies you know that really um sends a kind of uh like a shot over to james gunn like oh man this is this is gonna be a problem that you're gonna have to fix <laughs> um and an end game you know they brought her back uh but in this kind of new version that doesn't remember the history that she has with the Guardians. And in addition to that, they put the Guardians in the most recent Thor movie. Um, and even though they're only in it for a short period of time, they kind of make some assumptions about the characters that I think um, ultimately does not lead well into what James Gunn is wanting to do. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I think, uh, was it was very good. I loved it. I enjoyed it. But I think the, some of the jokes were a little bit um, too heavy, like, they would go, like, to, like, from, like, funny to knee-jerk reaction of, like, sad and all that kind of stuff, um, so, like, I remember, like, the scene where, like, um, for example, Yondu and Rocket are yelling at each other, and it's really funny, um, and then they go very serious very quickly, I didn't, I didn't always like that, um, and so, anyway, um, that was, that was really hard to see. But Guardians of the Galaxy 3... Um, even though I loved Guardians of the Galaxy 2... And I loved Guardians of the Galaxy 1... I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is my favorite. And this movie is the story of... Uh, it's the story of Rocket, really. Um, as much as it is about the Guardians. Uh, and there's so many subtle things that... You can tell like because of the world that James Gunn has been building... And even his own use of the stuff that happened in Endgame... That happened in Infinity War... Like, because of all of that, like, he was able to build some subtlety into the movie that didn't require him to have to come out and spell things. So, for example, the relationship between Rocket and Nebula. For the longest time, Rocket and Nebula were the only two Guardians left. Drax was gone. Mantis was gone. um, Groot was gone. Peter was gone. Obviously, Gamora was gone, but not because of the, the snap, but because of her being sacrificed. And so it was just the two of them. And during that period of time, uh, like it looks like Rocket kind of gave some upgrades to um, Nebula, and they got close. And so, like early on in this film, Adam Warlock, which is a holdover from Guardians Two, um, and from the Sovereign comes and attacks, and Rocket gets injured, and you know Nebula is the first one to be like, "We got to go figure out how to save Rocket," because you can tell she's really close. And even when Rocket comes back. To life, She has this moment where she kind of breaks down and cries because she's so happy that he's alive because she's been close to him. They don't have to come out right and say those things, but it's, it's very clear it's a part of the story. And then incorporating even what happened and in some sense, I think this is why James Gunn wanted to do the Guardians Christmas special. Because if you remember in Thor Love and Thunder, um, Peter Quill acts like he's moved on from Nebula because of his Guardians family but if you watch the christmas special he's still very much not over it. Um and they try and get him Kevin Bacon and all that kind of good stuff but come to find out, you know, now into this movie he's very much not over it. He spends most, most of his days drunk um on nowhere, which is the if you remember the head from Guardians 1 where the collector lived. The Guardians have acquired it and now are kind of running it as their base of operations, but also as their like uh um like their home, right? So they have a bar there and they Uh, put that up there so anyway um it's uh like he's he spends most of his days drunk and nebula kind of blames uh star lord for being drunk as much as he is because she feels like if he hadn't been he might have been able to stop adam warlock because he's kind of the one that um like is able to hold him off long enough for nebula to kind of sneak up behind him and really deal the blow um and things like that so i think that Um, she blames him that if he would have been more aware, maybe he could have stopped Rocket from getting injured. Um, Come to find out, obviously, um, Adam Warlock was there to steal Rocket, not to kill the Guardians. But anyway, doesn't matter. It's a nice way to tie up that storyline that they kind of left dangling there at the end of Guardians um, 2, because there's like six post-credit scenes, and one of them was um, the creation of Adam Warlock, which is a major character in the MCU. Um, And... Great acting job by uh, uh, the actor who plays um, uh, who plays uh, uh, Adam Warlock, um, and I mean you guys have seen him; you'd recognize him. It's Will Poulter. I, I remember him from the uh, the Maze Runner series. Um, but anyway, long story short, that's what kind of kicks off this movie, uh, and I love the subtle ways that they build into those relationships and the ways they pull from other. Pieces. If you didn't watch the the Christmas special, you're probably a little confused here because it also came out that uh, that Mantis is technically the half sister of Star Lord, um, along with a few other things as well. Um, so that attack by Adam Warlock leads them to have to try and save Rocket. The reason why they couldn't save him on Nowhere is that when they put like a med pack on him, um, it short circuited some internal um, telemetry on him um on rocket and it come to find out that like um there's this kind of kill switch inside of rocket that if someone tampers with his mechanisms like the machinery inside of him uh, because obviously he's not a normal raccoon then they um then you know it destroys rocket uh, because he's like proprietary technology and so they have to go find um the person that made rocket um in order to um in order to save rocket and the person who made rocket was a guy by the name of the High Evolutionary. And let me tell you, um, the guy who, the actor who plays the High Evolutionary does a phenomenal job. Um, not only just playing this very just sadistic character, but just also like the emotions that go into it. I just, you know, crushing it. So um, I think that he deserves an Oscar just for his performance here because I hated this guy and... That is kudos entirely to this guy's performance. Um, the background of the High Evolutionary—he's just this—he's trying to create a perfect form of life, and so he creates a lot of different forms of life um, throughout the galaxy. One of which is the Sovereign, whom we met in *Guardians of the Galaxy* Volume Two, but he also created—he created, um, uh, he created uh, Rocket. Um, which they talk about this a little bit in the prison scene when they get arrested on Nova or on Xandar, um, that he is eight, nine, uh, P two, three. Um, and, um, anyway, um, he's, uh, anyway, so they go to find this person to steal the access code to turn off the kill switch so that they can, you know, save rocket's life. Um, and, um, Throughout the process you know rocket while he is you know kind of unconscious and comatose um while they're per- like while they're doing what they do which is this heist kind of scene um where you get to see um all all these uh old characters too like for example like the heist actually includes the sylvester stallone guardians uh, which for a while there we had learned um was going to be the next guardian trilogy but that kind of went away um there were several characters associated with that but um i think they're going to focus on a new Guardians team that they, they had introduced at the end of this film, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, so, uh, um, okay, sorry, I got kind of lost in my train of thought. But as they do this heist, they do these flashbacks to Rocket as he's, like, a little raccoon, a baby raccoon, <coughs> and kind of growing into who he is. And you see that um, uh, he's chosen as a little baby raccoon to undergo this experiment where they put all of these like mechanical parts in him that help him talk and um, and you know get up and walk around and do things that normal raccoons can't do, and he's thrown into this cage um, with uh, several other other um, uh, several other um, actors, uh, several other kind of animals that have been augmented that look kind of nightmarish, if I'm being honest, um, but they're um, uh they have um like they so for example there's like this there's this uh rabbit that walks around on spider legs with kind of this like visor over her mouth called uh floor she identifies herself as floor there's this giant walrus with these like things over their eyes that and wheels that helps them move around called teeth and then lila which is a um like a badger right um who actually is voiced over by linda uh Cardell, Cardellini, which if you know anything about that actress, she's actually the one who plays Hawkeye's wife, um, in the other, uh, MCU installments. And so she's just doing voiceover here for this, but, um, she does two, um, two characters there. Uh, Michaela Hoover, um, is the one who plays Floor, uh, her or voices over Floor. You'll know her as the, um, very attractive woman from the beginning of, uh, James Bond. Uh, Casino Royale, the first, um, uh, the first of the Daniel Craig James Bonds, and um, she plays the uh, the wife of the guy that he frauds out of his like car, for lack of a better term, and and a sim a cadre as as thieves, whom I haven't seen in anything, um, and so like he he's thrown into a cage with these uh, three other creatures. And you realize through these flashbacks that they were kind of like Rocket's first family. They're the ones who... So, for example, when he's in pain and shivering after the procedure, um, Lila is the one who kind of like cleans him up a little bit and comforts him and helps him kind of like get used to the mechanisms that are on his body and help him learn to talk. And uh, quickly, as these again, as these flashbacks go out, you realize that like Rocket was a very close... um, Like was very close and thought very highly of the um the high evolutionary for a while like the like they they treated him like he was his dad or like his uh creator and there's this kind of this fondness that rocket had for him and he kind of helped him figure out some problems because rocket was kind of coming to be this genius that he created and the high evolutionary soon gets jealous right of that genius and he's going to um you know pull rocket apart because rocket helps kind of figure out this one thing that he's having problems figuring out what this form of life he's creating and he had been formally promising that uh rocket would live in this new world it's very like eschatological in this sense like this new world rocket will live in um with all these new creatures that the high evolutionary is making um and he goes back and he tells lila and tiefs and, and floor about it about this forever sky that they're all gonna fly into together um which is what how evolutionary has been promising. However, um, he had no intention of keeping that promise because um, once he gets jealous of him, he's gonna he's gonna rip apart Rocket and try and figure out what went right with Rocket so he could repeat that, and he's gonna wipe out all of his friends. And so Rocket goes into the cage and he he puts together this like card, this key card that's gonna get them out of their cages. They're gonna steal um, a, a spaceship and they're gonna fly away. Just like he'd always promised them. Um, however, tragically, as soon as he unlocks the cage, the High Evolutionary's there and he shoots Lila. Uh, and then some guards come along and they shoot Teeth and Floor. So all of his family's dead and he just starts wailing and he attacks the High Evolutionary, kills the guards, escapes. And, you know, he comes to be the rocket that we know him to be. This kind of closed off, like, um, really kind of abrasive character and you know obviously rocket comes back to life through the guardians but this like not only was rocket tortured from a very early age and created to be this like thing for someone else and torn apart and remade and all this kind of stuff um but also he lost the only family he had or was aware of with these three characters um and it's really really um powerful To kind of see, like, him embrace this new family. But you don't realize the full measure of what it means for him to embrace these other strange characters um, until you see this backstory. Um, You know, and you see, like, for example, like, uh, when they're seeing the video of, because when they go and they finally get the code key that's going to unlock um, the kill switch, they find a video of, of him getting made right, for lack of a better term, and, you know, like, for example, Nebula says, like, what happened, what Thanos did to me was not as bad as this, um, you know, and we know quite a bit about what Thanos did to her, and so it, it shows, like, this really, like, the, the fact that they, um, they being the guardians, like, they care for Rocket, and they, they hate to see him suffer the way that he has, um, and, you know, so the story of Rocket is kind of becoming this person of, of central concern is really great, and there's this, there's this beautiful scene right in the middle where they finally are are there to help. Like they have everything they need to kind of heal Rocket and everything, and and uh, Star Lord is kind of putting that into the database, and and Gamora is there, the new Gamora. And she doesn't really understand um, why everyone cares about this. She calls him a badger uh, several times. Um, because obviously she doesn't have those memories she's only a part of the team at this point because she's there from Sylvester Stallone's group of guardians um, to help make sure that the thing goes smoothly and that you know Sylvester Stallone's character gets paid some things go wrong and she ends up with the team they always they always were going to put them into like um, the same ensemble Um, but they they needed to figure out a way to do it and they did it I think quite well um, so she's with the Guardians for the majority of the movie, just as if it was a part of the other two. Um, James Gunn has mentioned that like Zoe Saldana didn't really want to play in a ton of these movies, um, yet she ended up doing it. So I'm very sure that this is her last film in Guardians. Um, you know, She played these three movies, plus the two Avengers movies, uh, Infinity War and Endgame. I think she's done um, playing Gamora. But I've been wrong before. Um, so she's there and she's struggling and ultimately there's this beautiful scene where Rocket dies, for lack of a better term, and he goes up to heaven. for Again, for lack of a better term, they don't really have like a clear eschatology in the uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy universe, but <clears throat> he sees Lila. Um, again, you know, whole, no gun wounds and that kind of things. Uh It probably would have been more Christological if she had the gunshot wounds, but there alive and whole and happy and he breaks down and cries because he's like i got you killed and things like that and you know there's this scene of healing where she's like nope and she tells him that you know you think that your life has been this huge mistake because of the hands that made you but you forget the hands that guide the hands which is i mean an incredibly theologically profound statement um and he can read it a couple ways like you could read it like a negative way of saying like okay these hands guided these hands to to Create you and torture you and all these things, but no. Um, the point is, is that like the hands that made you were not the ones that ultimately matter. There's hands that are using these circumstances that have happened to you for you to help save the world. Like if he hadn't become Rocket Raccoon, then they would not have been able to save the universe, right? Uh, in a sense, like because Rocket. I mean, it's a very small part that you see him in Endgame, but he's a very big part about the construction of the time travel machine that they create and so without the hands that have guided rocket uh from the beginning that are not the hands that made him but they give these kind of bigger hands right um and so it's this really powerful sense of like rocket's meaning is not boiled down to the fact that he was this baby raccoon made by the high evolutionary um for no purpose but that his purpose has kind of grown out of this uh has grown out of like who he is um scars and all i mean that's the the hero story of of countless heroes and i mean you, you see that actually quite well in the new flash movie where um bruce wayne and ben affleck's version of bruce wayne just says you know the scars make us who we are um and they we're not broken because of them but um we are who we are because of them um but my favorite part about this piece um this element right of this of this heaven scene is very much the like she says to rocket like we've made it to the sky and it's forever and it's beautiful which is what they had been dreaming about when they were in that cage you know not able to see anything but the dirty musty ceiling of this like cage that they were in um and dreaming about the forever sky and there they were you know living in that sky and it's this sense of like, and, you know, it was, I think in the theater I wept every time I saw it because there's a sense in which the the sky represents for Christianity what um, the eschaton and the new creation will be, a place where people's lives have been cut short, will get to be played out into eternity, and the, the dreams that they had and the things that they wanted to do and the people that they wanted to be will in some sense be allowed the space to flourish and thrive um, as it goes into um uh all there is and i think that that's 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 a profoundly hopeful statement and the fact that these characters who are these again these mangled characters right they 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 come back to rocket you know still with their manacles attached and everything but happy and healthy and whole And, and and whole not just in the physical sense but just in the in the spiritual sense of like they have found their peace they have found their rest and and rocket desperately wants to be a part of that but um you know lila's like you still have stuff you've got to do you know and then you realize and you find out later it's he frees all the people that the high evolutionary still um experimenting on and there's this beautiful scene where he kind of puts his head in this cage um and all the little baby um raccoons kind of climb on him to escape um and that's when he finds out he actually is a raccoon <laughs> um and so, uh, anyway, he's, um, uh, it's, it's a powerful thing, but I mean, in some sense too, this is, it's not just a rocket raccoon story or else it would just be a solo movie, but it's also the rest of the guardians, you know, um, Drax, for example, like he's always been this, uh, brute muscle kind of seemingly dumb guy. Cause he's so literal. Um, however, in this film, like he's, he helps, uh, in this very key moment, save these kids, um and kind of be a dad if you remember the people that he's mourning all the way up through infinity war even is the loss of his daughter and wife um who died at the hands of thanos um through ronin obviously but um but he's a good dad he knows how to work with kids and he knows how to speak their language and things like that um and you find out that you know drax has more skills than just killing in fact mantis no um nebula says to him i saw you for the first time today you're not a destroyer you're a dad that's really powerful um and even mantis for that matter like finds that she needs to go out and kind of like um uh, kind of go and just be her own person for a while it's really interesting story for all of them and um anyway the, the beautiful dance scene at the end is really great with all the guardians and Everyone kind of finding their own peace. It's a great way to end the film, which I mean goes against exactly Ryan Johnson's idea, but like you know, people have to die in order to have this kind of like redemptive arc and things like that. I don't I I don't think that death needs to be used so instrumentally like that. I thought one of the Guardians would die. Um, but James Gunn pulled it off to where all of them live and all of them kind of ride off into the sunset in their own way, with happiness and, and wholeness. Um, so the rest of the movie goes on, uh, with, uh, the high evolutionaries just trying to get Rocket. Apparently he's been doing that ever since Rocket escaped because he needs him to help kind of complete his perfect creation. Um, and, uh, you know, the guardians go and they rescue not only, um, Rocket, but they ultimately rescue all the people on that ship using not only, um, like their own like, the, the, the team, but also using all the people from nowhere as well. And there's so many great moments here, because um, Kraglin, if you remember, he's the one who um, Yandu gave the Finn an arrow to after he passed, and and he's been struggling to know how to use it. And you see Yandu again um, uh, in this film and kind of, like, a brief moment of, like, um, Kraglin trying to figure out how to use the arrow, and he actually uses the arrow to save a lot of people. See Cosmo, who's a big part of the Christmas special, and we've seen him before. In the we saw Cosmo first in the uh, um, in the collector's cage, but now he's free and kind of walking around, and all these really great. There she is. Um, But you know, there's just so many great parts as this, and too many little things to cover here. But there's also just like the greatest hallway fight scene ever, with the Guardians kind of destroying these nightmarish looking creatures that are there. Um, to protect the, uh, to protect the high evolutionary, and then just this final fight scene with the high evolutionary, where everyone gets their shot in as like friends of Rocket, and then Rocket finally saying, "I'm Rocket, Rocket Raccoon. I'm not eight nine uh, P two one three. Um, I'm Rocket Raccoon. Like it's just a really great scene. Um, everyone kind of goes their own way though at the end of this film. Like, and, and I love that they did this, Gamora. Goes back to the um, ravagers that she was from. Um, Peter goes home, spends time with his grandfather. Mantis goes out on her own. Uh, Drax stays and helps babysit all the new kids that they've inherited from uh, High Evolutionary. Nebula runs nowhere. She'll be like the president, for lack of a better term. And Rocket and um, Groot are going to run the new Guardians of the Galaxy team. He's now the captain. Um, and, you know, it's like, you tell Rocket's, like, really upset at the end of the film because it sounds like everyone's going their own way. And he's like, that's the end of the Guardians? Like, what? After all that we've been through? Um, only to find out that he's gonna have his own team. And there's this really cool moment in one of the uh, post-credit scenes where he's the, um, the captain. And, um, uh, Cosmo is... One of the new guardians, Kraglin, is one of the new guardians. Adam Warlock is one of the new guardians. Uh, Groot is still a guardian, and then one of the kids from uh, the high evolutionary experiments. She has some powers, and she is uh, she's a member of the guardians. And so uh, this film ends with everyone getting their happy ending. Everyone dancing together to uh, a really great song, which is actually if you think about the arc of the guardians, like it we opened up with Star Lord dancing. You know, and we ended with uh, all of them dancing together, and so instead of dancing by himself, now he's dancing with his "quote unquote" family, um, and I think that's a really powerful um, way to end this story because music has been kind of interwoven into this story, and um, the uh, uh, the song is just so good. And so um, I don't know what this means for the Guardians. I mean, I know that like Rocket has his own team, so I guess we'll see. I think we'll see that one again um which i would love to see that that more of that adam warlock character he was very funny um if you know adam warlock from the comics he's this serious like just um monster of a character who's just like really not like monstrous in like a bad way but like he's just really tough and powerful like he's one of the guys who can fight thanos but Uh, In this film, they kind of go around that and just say that the High Evolutionary pulled him out of his, like, cocoon too early. So he's a little bit, like, underdeveloped mentally, even though he's fully developed physically. Um, But, so we're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see Gamora again. She's with a different Guardians team, um, you know, stealing stuff across the galaxy. I don't think we'll see Drax or Nebula again. Nebula is more likely than batista um because batista said that this is his last one i, I think he's done um and so uh I, I would be surprised if we saw him again nebula maybe she's she mentioned in a post that like she's loved every minute of it and she thinks this might be the end if this is the end and so if we see her again i would be happy because i love nebula i think she's great um Peter goes to Earth. At the end of the film, they say Peter Star-Lord will return. So my guess is that we're going to get some Star-Lord antics on Earth. So he's going to be back. Um, and I think that's everyone. So Groot uh, and Rocket are part of the new team. Drax, I think, is done. Gamora, I think, is done. Nebula uh, might come back. Mantis, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, that actress hasn't really said a whole ton about her future in the role. Um, but I would love to see her back. I like Mantis as a character as well. But it's a good film with lots of rich theology. And I wasn't really um, prepared for that. Like I said, I was prepared for the zany antics. They always do that with Guardians. They, they had a better balance of humor that reminded me of the first one um, than the second one. But theology and this kind of deeper meaning for these characters is not something that I am uh, I'm used to. And it, they did they did it so well. Um, with these characters, with the eschatology scene and everything, and how that informs how Rocket, like, all life matters, you know, because you see that he saves not only the higher life forms, but the lower life forms as well, the animals, right? So all of them need to be saved. And that's exactly how eschatology should motivate Christians, uh, that all things deserve to be saved, um, because everything is precious to God's sight, um, and anyway, and I can go on and on about that, but I just, you know, I can't go on. I can't say enough high things about this, uh, because I think it's my favorite Guardians movie. It's one of the few trilogies I've ever seen where all three are excellent. Um, and this one really sticks the landing and they do it without having to kill any of the main characters. Um, and that is something that I deeply value and we don't see a ton of in Hollywood these days. Um, so anyway, um well that's all i have for this um uh let me know if there's things i missed or things you think i should talk about maybe in a future podcast but i loved these three guardians films um and i especially love this last one i think it's my favorite of the trilogy if i'm being quite honest um and i'm hoping that we see these characters come back together sometime in the future but i'm not going to um be upset if we don't because i think this was a perfect ending to their trilogy And a really excellent sticking of the landing um and so i hope that um if you haven't seen it that you will especially if you listen to this podcast i spoiled a lot um and if you have watched it that you would um let me know what you think um what's my assessment what i miss um as we kind of wrap up here um if you want to help the podcast feel free to jump on to itunes or wherever you listen to us and give us a review it's the best way to help other people find us uh you'll see uh some more content from kyle and i hopefully later this summer maybe august um but stay tuned either way hopefully some other things will be um coming down the pipe uh we got a lot of movies coming out um in the fall you can look forward to a uh, retrospective of the three of the four hunger games movies um as we get ready for the release of the Ballad of songbirds and snakes um, but there's lots of other things that are going to be on the horizon as well so stay tuned to our social media pages on twitter and instagram at arthouse road find us there um, and we you'll see exactly what'll come out when it will come out so i hope you enjoyed this and i hope you're looking forward to more content and we'll see you when we see you but until then be well and stay safe and have a great day And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.